1: Exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Hey everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross tiffany cross join me and be a part of sisterhood friendship wisdom and laughter we gather a seasoned elder myself as the middle generation and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had listen to across generations podcast on the iheart radio app apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast
2: Welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass. As he stated, I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about their purpose or gift. If you have a gift, leave with your gifts and don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My next guest, she's the doctor of the feet. She is the person that I should have found when I was 16. I, she should I should have, she should have come into my life, Dr. Yolanda Ragler. She's one of the top bunion and hammer toe surgeons in the Northeast with over 20 years of medical experience. She maintains her office on Park Avenue in New York City and the Washington metro area in Bowie Mallory. The focus of her practice is bunion and hammer toe correction. Her trade secret, tiara toe TM, which is a technique that leads patients with sandal-ready feet. We know summer is coming. Ladies, you know, men too, with sandals, you know, getting out there, scaring us with your feet. Leaving no visible scarring after their surgical procedure, Dr. Raglan's goal is to help women be successful by supporting them with strong foundation. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, the incredible, much-needed Dr. Yolanda Raglan. How you doing, doctor?
3: Hello, good evening,
2: Rashawn. Thank you so much for that glorious introduction. How are you doing? Well, uh, you know, I would, uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, uh, i made mistakes with my feet, Dr. Raglan. I know that's not the first time you've heard this. You, you went into a business where, you know, like you said, the foundation of what you do in life is how you stand, how you walk, how you present yourself when you walk into a room. And a lot of people are walking around with very painful feet. Am I correct?
3: Um, Absolutely. Not only they're they're walking around with painful, embarrassing looking feet. Um, And uh, and so what I found uh, very early on in my studies was that um, especially African-American women, they wanted to correct these problems, but they didn't just want to get rid of the pain. They wanted the feet to be beautiful, too. Right. So that was my aha moment, mm-hmm. and I just decided that, you know, this is what I was going to do. I'm, I'm going to focus on this core group of, uh, of African-American women or women of color, mm-hmm. and I'm going to hone my skills in correcting bunions, hammer toes, getting rid of those those unsightly corns, but I'm not going to just get rid of them. And I'm not going to just rid you of the pain. I'm also going to do it with an aesthetic result.
2: This is a very serious subject that we're talking about. I brought her on to just talk about her career, but more importantly, to give an outlet because a lot of people, like I said, uh, are walking in pain and they're walking in pain. I, my father, I always remember my father, uh, you know, uh, you know I, you know just being honest was I just see him with these huge corns on his toes and um, mm. and I when I look back now I, I can only imagine how much pain he was in because they were just they were just just outrageously big and but he put but, his shoes on his shoes on and walk out and I'm sure it was very uncomfortable correct
3: Yeah, but guess what, Rashawn? For men, you guys have an... You do have a little bit of an option. Oh, okay. I sold sold shoes for many years before I even thought about um, becoming a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so, and I sold men and women's shoes. So men can get wider widths even in your higher-end shoes.
4: That's true.
3: Women, Women, on the other hand, when you start getting into these wide widths, the shoes just become uglier and uglier. So <laughs> it almost becomes not an option for them. So... um even though, like you said, I'm sure you know your father did experience some discomfort mm-hmm. with the corns that he had on his feet. He did have options where he could go and get these shoes in an E with or a double E or a triple E or even a quadruple E with where women just don't have that option. And if they do have the option, it's just something that they are not willing to to do. They
2: don't want to go there. You absolutely are telling the truth. I wear a size twelve shoe and I got yes. a and it, it gave me an option to have a wide. And I got a wide shoe and I because I know if I get it tight, that's what ruined my feet. When I was a teenager and going into college, I wore really tight, narrow shoes and they were pointy toes and i mm-hmm. ignored the pain i ignored my the shoe rubbing against rubbing up against the side of my foot i ignored the fact that my my baby toe was collapsing and and as it was collapsing underneath because it was pointy toe so it was rubbing up against him but guess what everybody was complimenting me on my shoes everybody those shoes oh those shoes are yeah good. but you
3: did- yeah, but did
2: you take it did you ever take your foot out of the slipper? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Doctor, I I, I I took it out and put it right back in there because my ego was being fed by people telling me it looked good. Not the pain and not the not not the trouble, but I, I really want to talk about it because your brand is fix your feet and it focuses on surgical corrections of painful and embarrassing, you know, deformities, even bunions and hammer toes. Can you tell us, mm-hmm. how did you get in this business? Because, you know, we, we we hear different professions. We hear nurses. We hear, you know, OBGYNs. We hear all different. But but to get into the business you're in, how did that happen, and where did you go to school?
3: Well, um, well, first of all, the school that I attended, undergrad, I went to University of Maryland. And then I did five years uh, Well, in between Maryland and I did a little interim before I went to my podiatry medical school. Um, I did some research at the National Institutes of Health, NIH and Dermatology. So I'm burst in skin um, and then and then that's when I decided that yeah you know I'm going I'm going to definitely move forward with medical school and I wound up at the New York College of Podiatric Medicine and then I did a rigorous uh, surgical uh, uh, program with a uh, with a hospital that is a Wild Cornell um, medical school affiliate.
2: And then, but, but what really tempted you in that direction? Because you have options, you know, you're talented, you're educated, but what, you know, because everybody has a choice to make. Like I said, I, I went to college and I wanted to be an engineer and then I drifted between different majors and I wound up falling with my natural love and skill was mathematics. And I it out in sociology and I graduated. And that was really the right direction for me to go, even though I thought engineering was the direction that I wanted to go. Did you go in college, go into college thinking about this direction? Or at what point did the light bulb went out and went went out and went above your head and said, this is where you should be pointing?
3: Well, I I I knew I was going to become a doctor. Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah, I I, I there was a lot of things in in health I had experienced some, I had experienced now what I look back on it was discrimination in the healthcare system. Wow. I didn't know how to explain it back then. But now I know how to articulate it. And that's exactly what was happening to me. So I wanted to become a doctor because I wanted to know what the doctors knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, in undergraduate, I started doing research mm-hmm. um, at the National Institute of Health in dermatology. So I thought I was going to be a dermatologist. Right. And so, um, but I I kept getting these applications from podiatry school, not knowing what it was. (laughs) And I was, and I would throw away the applications. And one of my friends stopped by the lab as I was about to toss another application in the garbage. And she stopped me and says, what are you doing? Why are you throwing that away? And I'm like, what? And, and, And she's like, that's medical school. And I was like, oh, what is it? And she. Then she explained to me, you know, it's medicine of the foot, and she kind of like broke it down for me. She goes, you know, there's hair, skin, and nails on the foot. So if you want to sub-specialize in dermatology on the foot, you can do that. And I thought that that notion was kind of cool because I like I like the idea of having like a niche practice. I like, you know, being you know real specific and being like that that top-notch specialist. So I thought I was going to specialize in dermatology, uh, revolved around the foot. Then I get into, med- then I get into podiatri- uh, podiatric medical school, and I realized there's this whole surgical aspect, mm-hmm. which is basically is we're doing surgery of the bones. So it's basically orthopedic surgery. And I'm wow. just like, holy guacamole, we got chips. I'm like, uh, my hands are very dexterous. I am very good at reproducing results. Mm-hmm. And I and when I found out that there was this whole big, huge surgical aspect, I was just like, this is what I want to do. Because when I was living in the dorms, some ladies would stop me all the time and say, hey, hey, and this is me as a student. I'm like a first-year, second-year student. And they're mm-hmm. Like, hey, can, can you get rid of this, this corn right here? But I want it to be done cosmetically because they had seen – the results of their friends or their mom or their auntie or their cousins. Right. And they didn't want that result. Mm -hmm. And I kept hearing this over and over again throughout, uh, throughout medical school. And then, you know, and then I started seeing what results looked like. Um, when I was in my residency program. And I would compare what I would see on Caucasian skin versus black skin. And, wow. I would, and I would see that those results did not translate over to the black skin. that We scarred differently. Wow. So I said, you know, you got to think outside the box. You know, there's got to be a better way to do this so we can get better results. On people of color. And so, with my dermatological background, I was like, okay, there are ways to suture the skin. Um, You know, think more like a plastic surgeon working on one's face. I just said there's got to be, you know, different ways to close and maybe there's different approaches. So the scars aren't visibly noticeable to the eyes. Maybe we can hide the scars. And because I was afforded the opportunity to be in such a great res- residency program and scrub in with literally hundreds and hundreds of different surgeons, I got to see people do things so many different ways. So I journaled the, the techniques that I thought were the most optimal,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and then I put those things together, and then I put a little bit of my special sauce on it. Right. <laughs> and and then that's how I came up with my petty plastic tiara toe technique.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um and so yes, that's that's basically um, that's basically how I how I came up with right. with the practice and like I said, I started the practice to target the specific demographics mm-hmm. with in mo- keeping in mind that The procedures are for everybody, but I felt like this specific demographic was being dismissed. They weren't
5: being heard and they weren't receiving the services that they deserve.
4: Right, right.
5: We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashaun McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald.
2: Now, when you when you talk about trying to do something, I have to say, this technique was it a new technique? Was it a technique that you uh, figured out? And then when you when you started applying it, that that, that other fellow doctors in your industry questioned that technique or felt it was some type of fad or some type of you know hype thing that you had you had you put in place. What was the reaction?
3: So you know, honestly, Rashawn, I I don't really pay attention right. to what the what the other people what what they're thinking. Absolutely, because I know that I am doing something with reproducible results with uh, with high status, with a very high satisfaction rate um, for over fifteen years. Congratulations. So, so when if I have naysayers that don't understand my demographic right. and that have been giving my demographic the demographic that I'm targeting less than what they deserve, and if they are snubbing their noses at at my technique, I don't have time to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. um what I do know is that my uh, that I have taken like i said it's been i The everything about the technique is not completely new, but there are aspects of it that are completely new. So I've I've taken, like I said, different things. I saw one person do one thing this way, another person do something another way. And I, 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 combine some of those things together and like I said then I put then then as I started perfecting the technique I started changing things and tweaking it and and just getting it so that I can get the best result possible for these patients
2: Here's a question Dr. Raglin cuz I grew up with six sisters and um not saying I'm a female expert but I had six of them in my life and guess what they were very opinionated and five of them were older than me so they did steer my my vision when it comes to high heels, are high heels safe to wear all the time? Or is there a certain age slash weight limit for for high heels? Talk about the high heels phenomenon because they're not going away. This is a part of the fashion culture. Is there? A, uh, I wouldn't use the word danger, but are they safe to wear all the time?
3: I'm going to talk about high heels like like one would talk about alcohol.
2: Okay, where
3: you High heels responsibly.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Mm -hmm. So,
3: so, and and I'm saying that you you should not be in a pair of five-inch stilettos eight hours straight. Mm. That's you know that's bad form. That's bad decorum for the foot. Um, But if you know if you're having a night out and you want to look extra. And you are able to tolerate walking around in those shoes. By all means, I think that express yourself. You know, go ahead. You be you. Um, But like I said, it's not something for you to stand around in all day long for eight hours. If you're going to wear heels, like I said, you should always bring a pair of safety shoes with you, so that you can give your foot uh, um, a break from being in that declinated angle for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you start to feel pain, like you shouldn't be feeling pain. So like you were saying, you would you would feel the pain on the pinky toe. So if that pinky toe starts burning, it feels like it's about to catch on fire. You need to come out of them and get into your safety shoe. Right. Because it's, it, it, that is a point where your feet are literally talking to you and telling you, I need belief. Please get me out of here. And that's and that's true. Say, what yeah, you're saying is very true. Say,
2: very true. Right. We ignore what our body is telling us. We ignore our body talking to us. I ignored it. And and that's why when I, I invited you on the show, you know, my show is Money Making Conversation Masterclass. They said, why do you have a foot doctor on it? Because I know how my feet impact my life every day. You know, because of my feet, I have to soak them once a month just to just I'm not going into any graphic details, but I have to take care of my feet periodically to make sure that I can walk in the shoes that I now afford myself because I'm smarter now. I know about width. I know about a round curved toe area, something that I didn't do when I was younger because I my shoes still look smartly. They still look sportly. People just still compliment, compliment me on my shoes. But I didn't know. Now. What advice when you when do when you when people come into your office do you become a counselor or a person to give out advice I know because because they have to still take care of their feet after you fix them correct
3: so you know I become a little bit of everything I'm I'm an auntie a sister um, a best friend i all and a counselor. Um, their doctor, their surgeon, I'm, I'm all of these things. Because I, I wanted women to come to a safe place. I wanted them to come someplace where they would get really good information. They're gonna, they're gonna get, They're going to be able to make a real good informed decision on whether or not they should move forward with surgery. I'm going to tell you, if you even really need to have surgery. Right. So I've actually, and, and this is how, you know, this is how I make my bread and butter. I, I, I this is, I do not have a general pod, um, podiatry practice. I make my bread and butter by doing those few services that we announced earlier. Mm-hmm. And so if I, and, and, and I want to protect my patients from going to a predatory doctor mm-hmm. because some of these people come in with their really great insurance. They don't even realize how great their insurance is. and, and But they might not have anything that really needs to be done. And I don't want them to have surgery regret wow. or I don't want them to do a procedure that is at high risk and they have, and they really don't have symptoms. So I'm going to give my patients the best if I if I feel like you really need the surgery done, I'm going to do uh, I will do the procedure. If I feel like you really do not need the procedure done, I'm going to tell you that. Now, I've even had a case where I tried to talk the lady out of the procedure. Tried to. She's like, no, you're going to come in here. You're going to do everything. She basically told me that. And I said you know what? I got frightened because I thought she was going to go to somebody else. And I thought that they were going, she was going to wind up with a result that she wasn't going to be happy with. Right. So I said, you know, I basically told her, think about it. Call me back up. Here's my cell phone number. Call me. Text me. I'll If I don't answer the phone, text me. And she says, I still want to do it. And that's when I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, but, and then I read her the riot act. I, you know, I told her what all her risk was. She understood that. But really, if i I feel and and I think that when I tell patients, "Hey, look, you really don't you really don't want to do that. I'll do this thing over here, but you really don't need to have this thing and done. It doesn't hurt. you just have a little slight bump over there." And you can fit into your shoes. It's not an issue for you. There's a lot of risk in putting in surgery. Why would you put yourself at that risk? And, you know, afterwards they say, thank you, doctor. Thank you for being so honest. This is why I started this practice. I wanted to protect this this particular demographic so people would not take advantage of them. And so that they would get, like I said, the services and the results that they deserve.
2: I'm speaking to Dr. Yolanda Raglan about feet and then more importantly, women feet, uh, females who are out there trying to recover or trying to fix a problem that they created. It's all self-inflicted at times. Sometimes it's not. But in this case, summer is coming, Dr. Raglan. What can women do to make sure they don't mess up or what can they do to keep their feet beautiful?
3: Well, oh, you you have to wear a proper fitting shoes. So it it goes right back to you know, does it hurt? If it hurts in the store, it's going to hurt outside the store. So, um,
2: <laughs> Can you say that one more know, time? Can you say that one if, more
3: time? You, you heard me. If it hurts in the store, <laughs> it's going to hurt outside the store. That's what's going to happen. So uh, don't don't play around with it. Um, now, I would advise every woman, and this is going to, you know, future on. In the future, I'm going to create a, a pair of um, shoe stretchers. But every woman should have their own pair of shoe stretchers right. at home, and that's because you. Know, this way, you don't have to go to the shoe store. You'll, you'll, as soon as you get it, you shouldn't be breaking in the shoe. Your foot should not be breaking in the shoe. Allow the shoe stretcher to do that job. You can put, you can get your, you know, those nice, beautiful Italian or French design shoes. You can put them in the shoe stretcher, let them sit in there for a week or so, and now they're broken in. It's like somebody's been walking in them straight for two, you know, two weeks straight, and right. now they're broken in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, the shoe has to be comfortable. That's the that's the most important thing. Um, keeping your feet uh, clean and dry, keeping um, inspecting it uh, daily, um, making sure that you moisturize your foot uh, daily. Right. Um, exfoliating all the all the hard skin, uh, gently exfoliating.
2: Let me, so, let me ask you a quick so I, question here, Doctor Raglan, because I've you know. Mm-hmm. I've seen women with band-aids on the back of their heel, on mm-hmm. their toes. Okay, these, these are these are warning signs that this is a bad shoe, correct?
3: I think that these are warning signs signs that it's an ill-fitting shoe. So a lot of times if you have those band-aids or if you have something that's in the back, it's probably because the shoe does not fit you properly. It's it, the, it, If you have to put a pad in the back, the shoe is too big. Your foot is slide, sliding forward, and the shoe is too big, and that's why you're getting the friction on the, on, on the back of your heel. Or some ladies have something called a pump bump, and that could be a reason why. Now, if you have a pump bump, you might want to put something there that stops that friction from happening, something called moleskin. skin. Right. You can get that from any drugstore and that will stop the friction there. And and that that's something, you know, that's just how your body has developed. But if you don't have a pump bump on the back of your heel and that foot, that shoe is sliding off, you shouldn't have purchased the shoe in the first place. Sometimes we just want the shoe so bad and we just buy the size up or the size down and it's not worth it.
4: And that's,
2: uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, as, as a witness, as, a, as a, I'm testifying right now, I'm testifying that she's telling you the truth from a male perspective, I did everything that she's saying Incorrectly, I wore the tight shoes. I wore the shoe, you know, my shoe, you know, Towards I a teenager, I wear a size 12, but I was wearing a size 9, I wore a size 10, I wore a size 11. Oh, I was was, when I was in 11, I was wearing a size, you know, if it was 10 and a half okay, I slide my foot in there, you know. And I did that. I I let my foot stretch out the shoe, you know, expand it. You know, as I got older, then I, I have shoe horns, and I put them in there, and I stretch them out, and I I would let them you know, I I use the word marinate in that shoe to get it right <laughs> for my foot. So my foot won't be screaming. And so now I live a comfortable life with my feet, but my feet have paid the price. And what you're trying right. to say to all the callers who are all the people who have listening to this show is that do not get to Rushan's stage of life. You know, where Do not. Uh, you know It's I, not
3: it's not worth it's it. Not, it's, it's not it's not, not worth, worth it. it.
2: I have and a in life this of day regret. And age-
3: <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, in this day and age, we have the Internet. So you can literally scour the Internet to find your size yes. if need be. So we didn't have that back in our day, Rashawn, We didn't have that.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to let you know. I, I you know, I, I, I wear a certain brand of shoe. And I saw mm-hmm. this shoe the other day. I'm going to just let you know this. I almost drifted back to old Rashawn. I wear a size 12. <laughs> And it went you do well, it. it went up to size 11. I went oh that shoe looks so good. but I always remembered that, okay Rashawn, you're too old and too smart to get stupid again. And now because I was almost about to fall into the old well again of sizing uh, I mean, down on a big foot, was, sizing man, down on man, a big I foot.
3: Want, I want the listeners to all hear this too about shoe sizes. ladies. All you ladies out there that like your Italian, your European sizes, and those shoe sales people tell you a 39 is a 9, I'm telling you right now, (laughs) it's a lie. A 39 is not a 9. A 9 is a 40, okay? It's the next number up. Those people don't know what they're talking about. I sold shoes. I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. I sold shoes when we used to measure your foot on the branding device. We sat down in stools and we put the shoes on your foot. Not these people that come and throw the boxes at you and run away. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm telling all of you when they come and tell you, oh, what? 38 is the eight. They are liars. Is a, yes. a Thirty-nine yes. is a yes. eight. It's the uh, Preach. so Preach. I just want all of, yes. There so and I'm in the same goes for the men's shoes as well. So all these people that are telling you don't buy the shoe just because of the size, buy what fits, what feels right on your foot. Don't get caught up in the number. It's yes. just the number. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I know something, Doctor Young Ragland. I, I I so appreciate you coming on my show allow me to just you know tell the truth about Rashawn and his feet his magical feet they're not so magical when i take the socks off they're rather terrifying and i say that because of the fact that i i i was stupid i i ignored the pain i wore shoes that were smaller than what they should have been now i am happy with my life i wear quality shoes that that allows me to gracefully walk the halls of gracefully drive my car but I didn't have to pay the price if I would have just listened that's all and that's why I invited you on the show Dr. Ragland was to just You're let people alone. know
4: you
3: are not you are not alone so yes first of all I just want I will let people know everything so first of all I just want everyone to know out there I am actually a Pegasus unicorn I am arguably the only African American woman on this planet that has that caters to her sister folks Right. It's a practice that strictly focuses on correcting bunions and hammer toes right. and removing corns with a cosmetic result. I am Dr. Yolanda Raglan. My business is Fix Your Feet. Um, you can find me. I'd like everybody to pull out their phones right now. Follow me on Instagram mm-hmm. um, and Twitter mm-hmm. um, and Facebook on Fix Your Feet. Right. Um, Also, TikTok as well as Fix Your Feet. And also, go to my Fix Your Feet products. I have a new product line. I have the Fix Your Fungal Nail product line. It is second to none than anything out there. If you're having a problem with fungal nails go to that website, Great. check it out. We, we can, we can
2: eradicate that. Dr. Yolanda Ragland, thank you for taking the time to come on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. You were brilliant as you are whenever I meet you. Thank you. You're wonderful. You are a person, a breath of fresh air. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass.
1: We'll be right. Re- hey everybody. Welcome to Across Generations where the voices of black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host,
3: You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald.
2: Hi, Rashawn McDonald for Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. This week I sat down with television and film producer and Harvard graduate Aaliyah Williams to discuss the project she has produced through her production company, Just a Rubble. Aaliyah shares about spreading joy in her story about black people. Your smile is sunshine, young lady. It is sunshine. Uh Tell us about that.
3: Thank you very much. But I have to give all that credit to my mother. thing that she would say to me every day, every morning, smile and the world will smile with you. Something that I've always carried with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are definitely situations where it is hard to smile. But uh, I definitely try to bring that into all aspects of my life. And especially in the stories that I want to tell for Black people, I think we deserve
2: if you want to listen to this full interview with Aaliyah Williams, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com.
5: Now let's return to Moneymaking Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald.
2: My guest today on Money Making Conversation Masterclass is Miguel Wilson. He's the founder and CEO of the Miguel Wilson Collection, a boutique formal wear design business for men and one of the only menswear designers that specifically carries a wedding collection for grooms and groomsmen. For over 20 years, the Washington, D.C. native designed suits, sports coats, trousers, shirts, and accessories for men with a long client list that includes celebrities and other high-profile people, including Bishop T.D. Jakes. Pastor Jamal Bryant, Hollywood producer Will Packer, rappers 2 Chainz and Waka Flocka, and We're Housewives of Atlanta husbands Peter Thomas, Todd Tucker, and Michael Sterling, just to name a few. He currently maintains four locations in Atlanta, D.C., Miami, and New York City, while also traveling around the world to accommodate his clients and providing his services virtually. Thank God there's Zoom. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations Masterclass, Miguel Wilson. How you doing, sir? Hey, Sean. How
0: are you doing, sir? Thank you for having
2: me. Well, first of all, uh, high fashion, okay? Um, you know, I've, I've managed a guy who's a high fashion king, Steve Harvey, for 16 years. Oh, wow. And, wow. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, his suit line and everything. And so he so just wanted to be dressed immaculate and tailor-made clothes were. Part of his uh, DNA, I've been blessed to be able to say I've been able to afford tailor-made clothes in my lifetime. So that makes a difference. So with you being in a tailor-made business, what is the difference from listening to my customers listening? Because this is a live show. What is the difference between buying a tailor-made suit and buying it off the rack in a store, in a quality store?
0: Well, You can find quality. I sell quality suits in my stores. Yes, sir. Every day. Okay. So you can buy quality, but it's something very special about a gentleman being able to be a part of the design in his clothing. Yes, sir. So to be able to choose the lapel, choose the fabric, choose the lining, pockets, and then... You know, even have your name inside of it. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a, it's it's an, you know what it is? The difference is one is more of an experience. I think going through the process of having a suit made is more of an experience. Um, There are features in a custom made or tailor made suit that aren't generally available in off the rack. So guys who have these suits made can generally identify a suit that was that was made yes. based on these, these qualities. So if you see for instance like functional buttonholes on the sleeves, things of that nature, it, it it generally uh identifies as something that was, you know, had to be made.
2: Absolutely. Um, you know when you when you, when you talk about suits and clothes, uh, people when they hear the word tailor made, they just run for, out of fear. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. And and I tell people all the time because we, we talking about men, and the, we're not talking about mm-hmm. women's fashion. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a guy who watches old TV, watches westerns, and men fashions really don't change. You can correct me. You know, they they, they kind of stay the same. It just just gets updated a little bit, but. You know, they were wearing uh, button-downs in, in the 20s and the 30s, and they were wearing two-button and three-button suit jackets in the mm-hmm. westerns, Western western era and all that stuff, and pop-up collars and all that stuff. Oh. So so what what makes fashion fashionable for men? I guess that's the question.
0: Okay, so, so let's understand this. Fashion changes a Absolutely. little bit every single day.
4: Mm-hmm. It
0: doesn't move fast, but it's just like if you took... If you move one inch a day, nobody really recognizes the inch. Right. Don't even realize you moved any. But in the course of of a year or two years, you know you're down the street now. And so now you, we see you moved. Okay. So fashion's the same way. In that you, if you wear in fashion certain things today, people will notice it as something that's in now. And and, and, it's, and it's not just the clothing. A lot of a lot of fashion is around. And the way it's worn. So it could be the same things, but it's worn differently. For instance, you mentioned Steve Harvey. Right. And, you know, everybody still to this day kind of recognize when they see a, a baggy pair of pants on, they'll say, oh, it's like Steve Harvey pants. Right. Now, although he doesn't wear those types of things today, it's just ingrained in people's minds that that's the Steve Harvey look, per se. Okay? Right. So today, guys, wear their pants more European cut, slimmer, mm-hmm. pleat you know, we used to do the deep pleats now. We do no pleats. So while there's some similarities, there's always these subtle changes that that really separate something that's currently in style versus something that was previously in style.
2: Right. When you and, and I agree with that, I know that um, I, I know that you know, a lot of men, I'm talking about Steve Harvey and his fashion. That a lot of it grew out of the fact that he was hosting Showtime at the Apollo. And, uh, and so ministers would uh, wear his fashion. It really caught on and became very popular. And uh, and like I said, it grew into the point that you know Macy's started carrying his suit line and other people around the country started carrying his suit line. Well, what did, Let's let's go back up a little bit because I jumped out real yeah. quick and asked you All a right. question about fashion, right. Mr. Wilson. How did you get started in this whole game and in the yeah. early days before you became in high profile and, and people trusted you? to be able to deliver on these fashion based on the names that I mentioned when I mentioned Bishop T.D.J. Jakes or, the, you know, right. Will Packer. And then you jump over to Rappers 2 change, which is a totally different fashion look and fashion style. But let's talk about how it all started because it's all about promise when you start. But then you have to believe in yourself to make it happen. Ready to exactly. hear your story, sir.
0: Well, you know, I will say this, that one, um, I've always had a passion for fashion. My My grandfather, my father, both, like a better word, clothes horses. Yes, sir. Guys like to dress, they wear clothes. And to this day, they both think they dress better than me. So, <laughs> and, I, and I make a living at it. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, you know, approximately in the 90s, I had a good friend of mine who actually, I, was having, I used to have my suits made. And a friend of mine was in the business. Uh, he wanted to start his own company. He was working for someone else and asked me to be a partner. And I invested and worked in the business for seven years and, learned what I need to learn and it's just kind of just went from one level to one stage to the next, if you will, you know? So, um, the greatest, you know, to transition from, you know, just starting out or, you know, getting a name out there and then really catapulting to the next level where you do have the celebrities and people become more trusted name, if you will,
4: right? Mm -hmm.
0: is a result of a lot of trial and error. Okay being in this business as long as i have i've made pretty much every mistake a person can make the thing is i didn't quit as a result of mistakes that's the first thing second thing is i changed because of those mistakes one thing about me i tell my people today i'm i'm fine with you all making mistakes mistakes going to happen what i don't like is the same mistakes being repeated right so when we have a mistake we have to come up with solutions and and ways to prevent it from being a mistake tomorrow so this this has been part of what i feel to be the trust that people gain in me is the fact that i think over a period of time we've been able to eliminate a lot of the mistakes and create you know a high rate of quality service and right. quality products
2: we've lost some great um name i know um Andre Leon Talley, I interviewed him on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. I read his book, were inspiring. And Virgil, we just lost him. When you see talent like that leave your industry, and then uh, are, those, are those mentors to you? Are those uh, people you look up to? Talk to us about that.
0: Um, you know, I, I take a little bit from everyone. Yes, sir. You know, I, I can I learn from entrepreneurs in business. So so, so as, a, as a fashion designer, I'm also a businessman. right? So taken from, you know, from a fashion standpoint, you know, my inspirations come from a variety of places. It can come from people. It can come from just art. It can come from traveling. Um, but I think I learned, I learned a lot just talking to business people and, you know, through those conversations, sharing stories, you know, details about issues and problems and things. How they handled it, I think, is, is is been a great part of the process as well. So, but um, go ahead. you
2: know, the thing I want to talk to you about is that you know that because you mentioned it about customer service and not making mistakes. Let's, because you're dealing with fashion, and this is something when somebody puts on, it's going to go out in public, and then you're dealing with high profile fashion. They may be on red carpets, they may be on TV uh, entertainment tonight, maybe on a. Uh, different, different layer, or restaurant or an event. And so your brand is not like something that doesn't get recognized. It can be put on the spot. It can be memed on social media. It can be, it can be uh it can be a a, a, a blessing and also a curse if it's done wrong. And so, right. you, you know you know, what I'm saying? And so when you, when you're looking at fashion and, and individuals come into you, For your brand, they're seeking your advice. I know I do when I'm sitting down with someone who's designing something. Or I might pitch an idea and they might go, "Uh, Rashad, I don't think that's a good idea. How do you work that through the process? I know you're a trusted leader in fashion, but you also pitch ideas. How do you work the ideas of a client into your fashion talents to deliver the clothes that they want?
0: That's a a great question. Um, You know, people come to me with ideas all the time and realistically I have to be able to see it right. and you know people come with ideas that are kind of way out there and <laughs> if I can, it, yeah but but if, I, but if I'm not feeling it like wow, wow then I will tell them you know this is I understand what you're trying to do I'm I just can't see I don't have a vision for this what you're trying to do I, or or I see it I just don't like it right okay and, and I, I just I think being honest, one of the biggest traits, the greatest traits a business person can have is integrity and good character. Right. That when you say something, people know you mean it. And this is from the heart. So I don't try to, I don't say things to make. I don't say anything just to make somebody feel good. I don't tell people what they want to hear. I tell them what I think and what I feel
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and that, that, Comes with people give you a lot of respect when right. they feel like, you know, I can trust his opinion.
2: Right. It's so not all about is the incredible. dollar, it's about the, the honest relationship. Because, you know, there's people need to learn just about fashion. It's like, when I would sit down with a person like you, Miguel, first of all, it's trust. Uh-huh. And also, and I'm seeking advice, too. Okay. Okay. You know, I might be a person who might write the check, but I'm also kind of a little bit stupid, too. Okay. And so you have to educate me. <laughs> A, a little bit. So I, I appreciate what you're saying and people need to hear him when he says that, because a lot of times people, when they ask questions and ask for advice, they really want the truth. They want to know. Now it might not be what they want to hear. Otherwise they wouldn't have asked the question. So it means you need to right. tell them something they need to hear to make them have a balance of reality. So if somebody mm-hmm. comes into your restaurant and they have an idea, coming to your pitching an idea to you and in the back of your mind, the average person walks over, I, I ain't want to hurt their feeling. Okay, right there's the mistake. I don't want to hurt their feeling. You probably needed to hurt that person's feeling. Then they won't be embarrassed. They won't be opening a restaurant with no budget, with no business plan, because you didn't step up to the plate. And I know because of you being a guy who's a designer, it it took. It, at what point did you realize that this had to be part of the conversation,
0: to be honest? Mm-hmm. That's. That's a very good question. In 2011, I filed bankruptcy mm-hmm. and pretty much lost everything I owned, had to start over from scratch. And as I evaluated the loss, I realized that a lot of it was self inflicted, that I really had no one to blame but myself. The economy and so forth was a part of it, but I made some bad decisions and didn't really run business right so in rebuilding a new company i knew that i had to change in certain ways and one of the ways was really you know just having good character about stuff and and not putting a dollar first and then let me give you an example i wouldn't intentionally do it i think a lot of businesses don't intentionally lie or intentionally mislead but let me give you an example people will come used to come to me and say hey can you do this for me or can you make this for me Now, without me really knowing I could execute against it, I would say yes, Mm -hmm. and I'll just figure it out, and let me figure it out, and I had every intention of figuring it out and getting it right, but sometimes I fail, and as a result, you do not deliver on the promise or the customer's expectations, so too often we get in these desperate situations in business where we make deals In situations to pay rent or to to fix us a serious problem we have financially but at the end of the day we've messed up our integrity and messed up our character and messed up the the potential for someone to refer us to other people or do more business with us so through evaluating myself and those types of decisions i just made a decision that i'm making making money I, i don't have any money at this point i don't have much and so let me just operate you know uh, in a way that I know I can deliver and be Absolutely. good and great and right. great at what I do.
5: We'll be right back with more money making conversations masterclass with Rashan McDonald. Now let's return to money making conversations masterclass with Rashan McDonald.
2: You was talking about mentoring which I which I which is a modern term in the sense that I know when I was growing up I didn't have that word to my disposal and the and the millennials they and Gen Z, they understand the value of mentoring. And I also want to be able to say that that's the purpose of me creating this show was to create lanes where people can come on this show, either call on the show or, or just hear interviews through mentorship. Maybe they won't make the mistakes. Talk about your mentorship, sir. Well,
0: for what you do in this area as well, and you're right. Millennials do understand it better than, you know, previous generations, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, knowledge is power. And, you know, sometimes you can learn the hard way. You can learn (laughs) from others.
2: I'm the hard way. I'm the hard way, Miguel. I'm the
4: hard way.
0: Right. (laughs) But, you know, so as a result, I have, you know, many, um, I do fashion shows and things, have a lot of uh, designers that participate that, uh, you know, look at me as as a mentor and call on me for advice, questions, stuff one of the things you know i think a common mistake is that designers or people who intend to be designers and want to start a, a line or whatever set it up based on just their own personal likes and dislikes and not with the customer in mind mm-hmm. so i think that you need to if you're if you're in fashion if you want to stand out in fashion because they are Millions of, of of brands out there now, right? Right. So, how do you how do you segment yourself or separate yourself from everything else that's there? You have to do something or have a particular purpose or client or niche that you're focused on to really do that. So, back I talked to you about when I filed bankruptcy and star had to start all over. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I did was identified a space in fashion. That was unoccupied, right? And that was serving grooms. So when I started that process, nobody was really doing it. Men's warehouse rental tuxedos, but nobody's really catering to men having not only great clothes mm-hmm. but a phenomenal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, women when they get engaged, their girlfriends get together, <laughs> right, the right, to right. bridal <laughs> shops, they're <laughs> sipping champagne. <laughs> it is a party, right? Right. right. So right. So so and then they show up at the, you know, they, they they feel phenomenal their wedding day because they know that day that they're wearing the most beautiful gown they've ever created Mm -hmm. for themselves. So men deserve the same thing, particularly in this day and age when so many of us are paying for the weddings, our own pocket too. Unlike previous years where the fathers was to help out and so forth, you know, it ain't the case today. So a lot of us are paying for it. And, and, truthfully, it's probably the biggest party that most of us will throw. Right. The wedding. Right. So the man deserves, the groom deserves to look great, feel great, and, you know, not be shortchanged after the, you know, desserts, you know? You know, the the, the fun
2: part about that is that it almost like it's about time, you know, because that is true, is that the experience – of going in, getting that perfect gown, you know, how many how many tuxedos I've rented, and it's just been, oh, he told me to come get that color in the corner, right. and I get it, and I get some ugly shoes, right. and I go, okay, <laughs> and that's really Terrible. that's the experience I remember. I'm just telling you the truth. I've I've done this several times, so it's right. always a hard pair of uh, patent right. leather shoes and a ill-fitting a, a, a uh a tux that that somebody else has worn maybe four or five hundred times before I put it on.
0: Exactly. You know. So what what I've done is is looked at the total wedding experience for a man and recreated it. Okay, congratulations. So it start, it's, Thank you, thank you. It, it, it starts off with the clothes, of course, but at the end of the day, too, they got groomsmen, and I want them to come in from the moment they come into our one our, our showrooms. I want them to feel special, like we're celebrating you. We're celebrating this occasion. It's not just about the wedding day; it's about the process and I want you to enjoy the journey along the way going to it. So, we do a thing called groom's lounge where we invite the groom to bring all his groomsmen in. We have champagne and cocktails and we do all the fittings and then we end it with our uh roast and toast of the groom. And I tell you this is probably one of the most phenomenal things that I have come up with because Every week, when these guys come in there, and I don't care where they're from around the country, but they get together and they roasting and toasting this one guy, this groom, their right. friend, their brother, mm-hmm. and to hear these brothers tell this man how proud they are of him, how much they love him, how much they support him, it's something that we don't see in America much often. You know, people tend to think that you know we kill each other. We mm-hmm. do this, we do that. But one thing about that ro- Roasting Toast in my stores every week, you see that brothers, black men in particular, love each other, that we support each other, that we have good fathers, good brothers, but also we love our women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's if society or, or the media were to tell a story, it would be nothing like the reality that we experience every single week in our stores. Congratulations. So it, it is amazing. and um, But the thing is, the groom and the groomsmen mm-hmm. walk away feeling like they've just experienced something that was much needed and, and just doesn't happen. Because how often do we just tell each other, even though we might talk frequently or whatever, how often do we tell each other, man, I love you, right. man, I'm proud of you? Right. Bro, you're doing the right thing. Dog. You need some help. Whatever. Right. You know what I mean? So right. this is this is a great time that will be uh remembered mm-hmm. by every guy that goes through this. This will be one of the highlights of the wedding. You know, I'm getting I'm engaged. I'm getting married in May. <laughs> myself. And I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff that I've created for my grooms are the very things I want for myself. Great. You so know, I'm going to do a brooms
2: lounge. There yeah. you go. There
0: you go. I'm going to do a roast and toast. I'm going to have all these same things for myself. And, bro, and I,
2: drop it on social media because we all need to see it. Oh, hey, oh, hey, Miguel, yeah, man. I'm, sure, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, man. You, you're inspiring me, man. Like I said, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. In fact, uh, can you be a regular? Can you come back when you're about to do? Brother, can you come anytime, back in May? man. In May because anytime, I want to talk about you the polo. What? Team at uh, at Morehouse oh, yeah. and all that good stuff, oh, yeah. but what my big yeah. takeaway from you is that man, there's a love, man, in what you are doing. There's a passion and a desire to be the best, but not the best because of, that's what people compete for. It's about it's about mm-hmm. breaking stereotypes, about being uh, living the lane of black excellence, and you're doing it in the lane of fashion. I'm talking to Miguel Wilson collection right. Four locations support the the the, yeah. the whole principle of. Black like excellence. And I appreciate you coming hey, on hey, to make the conversation.
0: R- R- Rashad, let me say this one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, every week I'm in Fifth Plaza in Atlanta, and these guys, these brothers have to walk by Gucci, they have to walk by Versace, they have to walk by Tom Ford mm-hmm. and all these places to get to my store. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the one thing I want them to do when they make that work, I want to make it worthwhile. And the one thing we do is make each and every one of them feel the love that they feel. This is a place that you are honored and treated well and feel great. Thank
2: you. I thank you, Miguel Wilson. I appreciate you, brother. We're going to talk soon. All May, right, you get married,
0: right? Like May, right? Hey, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I okay. get on after that show. After I
2: get married, we come on back on. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> thank you.
5: <laughs> You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rushan McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated.
3: You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald.
2: Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations with your daily Minute of Inspiration. Recently, I spoke with my friend, actress, comedian, podcaster, and host of OWN Network's The Big Holiday Food Fight, Kim Whitley. We discussed her weight loss journey, single mom podcast, and holiday series. Kim shares how being happy and inspirational helped her with her own personal journey. I'm a a really, really firm believer in how you feel on the inside will come out on the outside. A lot of water is what they really make you drink. Um, You stay hydrated, your skin's going to look good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But being happy on the inside, um, I think it comes out because people are always like, you're always so happy. I really try to maintain that um, because I like to be an inspiration to so many people. So I I think that's what, and when I look good and feel good, then I'm even happier. If you want to listen to this full interview with Kim Whitley, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com.